honored her life and, and proclaimed the gospel uh, to her family and friends yesterday. She wanted to leave those flowers for us this morning. And Casey Shaw, we thank him if he's watching or preaching for me last week so that I could get a break. He's uh, planning a good and new work in Mount Holly, and he's endeavoring in that hard work that we've been through. And so we always enjoy having him come and preach. So stand with us now. And let us, before we read this, and I know what all that we've been through, and I know our minds, all that is, degree may still be spinning and reeling for all of life and change in the heart and all that is. But brothers and sisters, this is God's word. This is God speaking. Let us feel the weight of it this morning. Let us feel the glory of it. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I'll walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with the sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes but as for me I shall walk in my integrity redeem me and be gracious to me my foot stands on level ground in the great assembly I will bless the Lord God this is your word as you've spoken through your prophets, your apostles, your word to us, the redeemed, who have gathered to hear it, hear from you today, to speak into our lives, wake the dead today, God. Whether they see it online or whether they're seated here, encourage the redeemed, bind up the wounded. Empower the tired. Orient the confused. Give peace to the conflicted. This is your word, God. And it is powerful. It is living. It is active. And we ask you, Lord, for it to penetrate us this morning. For the glory of your name. Amen. You can be seated. So let's be honest for a minute. I'm going to be. Have you ever said, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? When I was a deacon back in my mid-twenties, I guess it was, a long time ago, we would give up and give a testimony. And I remember this is, that's exactly how I started. The, the question is, 
What do we mean by that? What's going on in here when we say that? I mean, do we mean, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, so don't expect much out of me. Maybe just a little less sinning. We've got to be careful with our words. We cannot forget who we are. David's in a situation here. We don't know what the situation is. He's been accused of something. He didn't do it. He's innocent. And he's proclaiming his innocence. And he's doing it by saying, I am walking in my own integrity. The integrity here in this text means blamelessness. It literally means innocence. I am walking in my blamelessness. I am walking in innocence. Scripture is clear here, and I want you to see this. We're going to come back to this at the end. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. This is a reality if you're a Christian today. I don't know if somebody, what somebody said to you when somebody laid out the gospel, but here's the truth today. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Paul speaking truth into Timothy's life when he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. David's experiencing it. So, what might it look like to walk in integrity? Hey, newsflash, you're going to be persecuted. That's, that's the context. Quite honestly should be the context for it is in most Christians in most of the world see David had two lifelong friends walk through his life with him faith and holiness his trust in his Lord and holiness of life they were his faithful lifelong friends they were not enemies they were not competing against each other they were faithful friends to David on his right and on his left but David had real enemies and so do you talked about that a couple weeks ago in Psalms 25 about we need to identify them we're going to identify them even more today verse 4 of Psalms 26 and verse 9 says the enemies of David were deceitful hypocrites in verse 4 and bloodthirsty in verse 9 we could say based off our understanding of who the hypocrites are that our enemies are oftentimes not only those without but those within do you remember Absalom who sought to undermine his father David the king's authority not with a sword at the start with but with the sword of his mouth. Ruining someone's credibility and their character is the way you get people not to follow someone. Just need to pay attention to politics to see that's a lifelong scheme. <laughs> it works pretty well. David's experiencing it. So, and it's so, the other context here to the understanding this text is that not only David is being persecuted, he's being accused, but he goes, he desires in the midst of this to go to God in prayer. This is reoccurring in the Psalms. Songs, prayers, he goes into God's presence. That's what he does in the midst of it. So persecution and prayer is the context for the normal Christian life, if there is such a thing. So walking in integrity begins this morning. I want us to see this. Three truths. Begins in trustful dependence on the Lord. 
but it involves in your everyday life making careful, prayerful distinctions. And it resolves to live by the grace the Lord provides. So start with, number one, walking in integrity begins in trustful obedience in the Lord. We talk every once in a while about the structure. This is poetry. This is important. And there's five strophes. Remember we talked about that. Strophe is a group of related lines. These are related. They're, meant, they're, they're written in such a way that you could see the parallels and draw meaning and understanding. And the first three verses is a strophe. It is focused on the Lord. And so when he says in verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. The word vindicate means to judge. Vindication is an act of God whereby he declares his servant innocent and avenges himself against the wicked. To persecute God's children is to offend and to come against God himself. So he asks here, he prays, judge me, Yahweh. In other words, he's saying, judge me so to effectually defend me. This is a prayer of dependence on his Lord. This looks a lot, if you got your Bibles, remember with us when we were in Psalm 7. It was a while back. Very similar psalm. Verse 8, Psalm 7, verse 8 says this. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. He's asking the Lord to test him. Vindicate me, Lord, but test me. This is a picture of smelting metal in order to purify it. Prove me, try me. Psalms 139 says this a little bit different way. Gives us a little bit more understanding what he's asking. Look at verse 23. Psalms 139, verse 23. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. We've all been in these situations. To where I know I'm innocent. But God is there anything in here? This is what persecution causes in our life. It causes us to step back and take stock. And say God is. I'm walking in integrity. I, Lord but, but try me. Because my intentions of the heart is what really matters here. What's my intentions? He's coming to him both in a prayer of dependence. This is also a prayer of confidence. I'm walking blamelessly, God. He's not claiming sinless perfection. He's saying in regards to this specific situation, I am innocent. And he's going to unfold I am not just innocent because I tried real hard to be good this at one time. He's saying, I live a pattern of life. I live in my integrity. But this is, remember, a Godward section. He's saying, I trust you. So now look back at Psalms 26. I want you to see this. Vindicate me. Parallel. Prove me, try me. It's connected to verse 3, first line, for your steadfast love is before my eyes. The other related is, I have walked in my integrity. 
I have trusted in the Lord. I'll walk in your faithfulness. You see, those are parallel to each other. They're meant to be grouped together to understand what is he saying. Look at this, verse 1. I have walked in my integrity. Verse 1 again. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. So his walking in his integrity is based off of something. Greater than just himself. He's trusting in the Lord without wavering. This sets up an imagery he's going to come back to in the end. Of standing on level ground. Trusted in the Lord. That provides my solid ground I stand on. That's why I'm walking in my integrity. That's why I can. He says, I walk in whose faithfulness? Verse 3, I walk in what? Whose faithfulness is that? Your faithfulness. I walk in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord. It's on one hand. Faithfulness is on the other hand. I have walked in your faithfulness. And so now we understand the basis of him saying, vindicate me and test me. Is verse 3, he says, for your steadfast love is before my eyes. So do you get the picture? Trust in the Lord on one side. God's faithfulness on the other. The steadfast love of God before him. That's why he walks in integrity. He walks in his life. This is why he can declare himself innocent in this situation. With the Lord always before me. He's who I'm following. He's who's my eyes on. And I know, he says this many times, doesn't he? I know God's eyes are on me. He's watching me. That's why he calls him Lord. That's Yahweh, the covenant God. The God that covenants with his people. And never lets them go. But I want you to see this. Trust in God is the fountain of integrity. It's where the, it's a spring. Just got back from the mountains. Oh, I love the mountains, and my, my wife knows I love the mountains, and she picked out a place. I didn't even know what it looked like until we got there. You could have fished right off the deck. The stream, oh, it was like, come, come, Lord Jesus, just take me on now. Little sidebar tip, marriage tip of the day. She loves to take me to the mountains because she knows I love it. I would have just assumed take, took her to the beach because she loves the beach. There's a good tip for a healthy marriage. That has nothing to do with the sermon. But the beat, the mountains, the stream. So if you can trace the stream back up into the mountains, you would at some point find a spring where that water comes up out of the ground and then flows down the mountain. He's saying this is the beginning, the trust in God, God's faithfulness. Turn with me. It's not in your notes, but it's on the screen. Romans 3.23. So thankful to have a pastor who leads worship. Because he's already taught this for us. I just want to remind you what you've been singing. That spring is at the foot of the cross. And that's the level ground. It's where, it's where the homeless man and the governor have to come equal. Because it's equal at the foot of the cross. Why? Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by blood. To be received by faith. 
That's the beginning. That's why we live in integrity. It's because this is where it begins. It begins with faith in Christ. Best definition I ever heard, justification. Psalms 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. He's not done with that though. Verse 2 says, And in whose spirit there is no deceit. God's salvation in you, His declaration of righteousness, His removal of sin, His adoption in the family leads to a pattern of life that we walk in. Listen to Spurgeon. Faith is the root and sap of integrity. Faith will work hard for the Lord and in the Lord's way, but she refuses so much as to lift a finger to fulfill the devices of unrighteous cunning. Faith trusts God to accomplish His own decrees. Why should I steal when God has promised to supply my need? Why should I avenge myself when I know the Lord has espoused my cause? So he clung to him, being accused and prayed, affirmed his trust in the Lord, declared and pleaded his innocence. And now he's fixing to lay out his normal pattern of life. And I know, brothers and sisters, that there's some hard things that I'm going to say right here. And if I stop and and, and lean into an area, understand I'm doing it because I see it is a problem in the, t- the church, not just this church. We need to recognize some things because there is a pattern of life, and if we are going to walk in integrity, we must be willing to make prayerful, careful distinctions in our life. We must. We must because God does. So before we get into this, let us orient ourselves to the Gospel of John. John 3, to verse 20. Notice the distinctions. Verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates, it's an important word right now, hates the light and does not come to the light. Somebody tell me why he hates the light, the wicked. What does it say? Lest his work should be exposed important he doesn't want his works exposed verse 21 but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that why what does it say it may be clearly seen you see that there's a difference there's a distinction between wicked and righteous light and dark the psalms is very clear there are two assemblies There is the great assembly, the assembly of the righteous, the gathering of the redeemed. But there's an assembly of evildoers. So we look at this text, go back to Psalms 26, look at verse 4 and 5. It says, I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites, I hate the evil, the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I, Pastor, I didn't think I'm supposed to hate. Listen to me. If you don't hate, you don't really love. The love of God is man's greatest problem because if he loves all that is holy and righteous, what's he going to do with you? That's the good news. If you don't give him the bad news, the good news is not good. We must 
If we love light, life, we must hate that which extinguishes life. But let's look at it. Assemblies, congregations, communities. Exodus 12, 6 says this about Israel. They were a community of the Lord, an assembly of the Lord, a congregation. So I'll use the word church. It's the people, the community of the God. What is this word hate then in, in verse 5? It means to dislike intensely. That's why we say all it, just call it hate. <laughs> it's to dislike intensely. This word can be even be used for enemy. When we read this, we should remember a psalm, Psalms 1. That sort of immediately ought to pop in your head. He's using the same language here. Psalms 1, verse 1, remember? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, don't lose track of the context. He's proclaiming his innocence over a false charge. He's saying, I walk in my integrity. And now he's telling us what it looks like to walk in integrity. He's given the evidence, a pattern of life that is visible. He says, I do not sit with them, nor do I seek advice from them. Remember when we went through our vision series, we worked real hard to make sure that we all understood what fellowship means. Fellowship is a shared way of life. That's what he's saying. The pattern of my life in this false accusation is this. I do not share life with the wicked. I don't go to hypocrites for advice. I don't pattern my life. I don't throw my lot with them. I know where where they're headed. We're going to get there in just a second. I don't pattern my life with them. And here's another truth. The opposite is true. You got Psalms 25. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. Look at verse 19. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. The wicked hate me, God. Verse 4. I want to lean in right here for just a second, so bear with me. Because it says right here that if we are going to be men and women who walk in integrity, that we do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do we consort with hypocrites. What does this word mean? In the New Testament, it's, it's as an actor who pretends to be something that he's not. In the Hebrew here, it means the hidden ones. They're hidden. Where do they hide? In the great assembly. That's where they're hiding. There are enemies without but the enemy of the church, that which is causing the doors to close all over this country, is the enemy within. And here's what he says. We should hate it. We should hate those who, who come in with hidden agendas to attack the bride of Christ. So questions. New, New Testament now. Jesus' day. Who were the hypocrites? Were they the religious or the irreligious? They were the religious. Should set you up on your heels. That it was Jesus who called them whitewashed tombs, dead men's bones, children of the devil, who will no way they will escape the condemnation of hell. So this should set us up on our seats this morning. He's saying, 
I don't walk with them. I don't sit with them. I don't tolerate them. They are a spiritual cancer. They are an enemy of integrity. And listen, they are an enemy of the, of the gospel. This is what he lays out as evidence of walking in integrity. I hate what God hates. I hate that's an enemy of the Lord and his glory. Psalms 11 verse 4. The Lord is in his temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous. But his soul hates the wicked. And the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. And fire and sulfur and scorching wind. Shall be the portion of their cup. Did the Bible just say that the Lord hates the wicked? I, I'm not interpreting. I'm reading. If you, if you don't like the word hate there, you can go to Psalms 5. He used the word abhor. That's not better. We have covered over the gospel and put ice cream over the top of it. And people don't know that they're an enemy of God. This is not good. The Lord tests the righteous and praise God he does. But the wicked and the hypocrite are not okay with God. We must know what we must avoid and what we must embrace. And here we have a picture of what we must embrace. There must be distinctions in what we hate. There must be distinctions in how we love. Look at what he says. Verse 6. Back to Psalms 26. I wash my hands in innocence and go around the altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud, telling of your wondrous deeds. O Lord, look, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. This is a contrast of the wicked and the evil and the hypocrites with what he loves. This washing of the hands in purity can be a ceremonial that actually happened during worship that was a picture of the purity of heart. He could be simply referring to the purity of heart here, which he does in Psalm 73, wash my hands in my own innocence. Paul speaks like this too, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. As I know, I, I, I never speak on this when someone thinks that we're supposed to remove ourselves from the world. And if, you, if you're getting that, you don't understand the mission of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Listen to what he says here. We must love to have a pure testimony. This is what he's saying he loves to start with. Love my testimony. For our boast, 2 Corinthians 1, look at verse 12. For our boast is, is this, the testimony of our conscience. That we have behaved in the world. Where is he behaving? In the world. With simplicity and godly sincerity. Not by earthly wisdom. But by the grace of God. And supremely so towards you. What should we love. If we love integrity. We must love our holiness of our testimony. That is lived out before a wicked world. How precious. Is your testimony before that wicked world? Is it precious? Do you love it? Because listen, 
I hear too much about Christian freedom and Christian liberties. Our liberties become our sins when they lead others away from Christ and not to Him. At that moment, they become a sin, pride, and the enemy in your life. And God calls us, when it's revealed to us, amputate it because it becomes the enemy of a holy testimony. This takes care of a lot of questions when you understand that we must love the purity of our testimony. And listen, we must love the people of God, the house of the Lord. This is, this is around the sacrificial system. You've got to understand it to appreciate it. Go around the altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling of your wondrous deeds. These are sacrifices that are symbolic acts of devotion. You see, the atonement sacrifice, the sin offering has been placed, and now there's a thanksgiving offering, a fellowship offering, fellowship and thanksgiving to our God for what he has done. You are thanking him for his wondrous deeds. That's what he's saying he loves. I don't love sin. I don't love wickedness. I love God. I love being with God's people, remembering Yahweh and what he's done. I love that. I don't neglect it. I can't wait for it. You see, you never see anybody that understands the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ as a Christian using it as an excuse for sin. If you're doing that, you're not saved. Not. It's our greatest motivation to holiness. It's our fuel for worship. We think about the atoning work. We're not thinking about the cross and thinking, now what can I go do so grace may abound? We think about, look at this God who saved a wretch like me, and now I'm his, and now I'm righteous. Now he's given me a mission. This is what Christians look for. This is how, what we love. If you want to grow in righteousness, listen, you need two things this morning. You need to spend time with the Lord. And you need to spend time with those who are striving to walk with the Lord. And you need to avoid, like the plague, anything that's not. It's what he's teaching us this morning. Because, listen, there is distinctions in what we hate. There is distinctions in what we love. And there is distinctions in destinies for this. This is why he hates being around the wicked. David desires no portion of the wicked. Look what he says in verse 9. Do not sweep away my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men. I'm not going to stand beside of them, God, because one day they're going to fall into the pit of hell, and I will not be standing beside of them when it happens. To abide with the wicked is to be gathered and burned with the wicked. The picture I had as we came home from vacation, we stopped at an apple orchard. Got you little baskets, and you had to pay to fill them up and pay more for the baskets. Picture here, there's two baskets. And one day, God's going to pick the bad fruit, and he's going to drop them in a basket. Spurgeon said, I don't want to be dropped in that basket with the best of sinners. My dad had an old apple tree. I don't know if I've ever told you about it. But every year, it brought up these gnarly-looking apples. He planted it, you know, years ago. My dad loved pecan trees. He loves apple trees. He planted an apple tree. And it never did. All is green, but they're nasty looking. He said one day, I was just a little fella. He said, next year if this thing don't produce apples, I'm cutting it down. And next year, sure enough, come all them little gnarly apples. You know what became of that tree? Firewood. 
to cut it down. Listen, I love you and I love the church. And we need to go back, send it to our growth group leaders. I challenge you this week to go listen to Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and realize he preached that sermon to the church. I say this in love, but I say it this morning, as sure as there is a heaven for the redeemed, there is a hell for those who reject him. And hell will be full of church members who confess Jesus with their mouths but reject him with their lives. They are the hypocrites and the deceitful who are sinners in the hands of an angry God. God calls us to repent. And when he saves us, he changes our nature and he gives us a heartbeat for him. We are not those who hide our agendas. We are those who lay our sin on the, at the cross where God forgives us. We stand up and walk this hard life together. You see, walking in integrity resolves something. To live by the grace that the Lord provides. And he provides grace for us differently for all of us. Here's Look at the resolve in verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me, be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. Where? In the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. You see that but as for me? That's a contrast. Who's he talking to? Who's he contrasting? Who's he saying? But as for me, the wicked, the hypocrites, the bloodthirsty. I, I'm, I walk in my integrity. No matter what happens, Here's what, that's what he's saying. But listen, look at the second line, verse 11. Redeem me. That word means rescue. He says, redeem me, rescue me, be gracious to me. You see, there's no sense of entitlement here. In other words, if God chooses not to rescue him from this situation, God has done him no wrong. He says, redeem me. He says, I need your grace. What is grace? Grace is to receive something that you don't deserve. There's no such thing as entitled grace. He says, God, be gracious to me. But no matter what, you see, I will walk. I shall walk. That's future. But as it is for me, I am going to walk in my blamelessness. But God, can you please rescue me from these false charges? I need your grace here, Lord. I know I don't deserve it. But would you remove me from it? But no matter what. I will stand on level ground because of my trust and dependence on the Lord. And I will not start, stop worshiping and blessing my God. No matter whether all of life gives way. Hebrews 12. Hebrews is one of those books I... I tried to, I saw Hebrews 12, I'm at verse 28, and I see the word therefore, and if, you, if you're a good preacher, you always say you got to go back and see the word therefore. The problem with Hebrews is I went up, and there was another therefore. <laughs> you got to go, well, I go back to the next chapter, I can't get rid of the therefores. It's one theme, and it's the same theme as Psalm 26 in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is saying, pleading with God's people, Persevere in holiness in the midst of persecution. And he says, Hebrews 12, 
Verse 28 says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Put you on your knees and lift up your hands. At the same time, listen, we need to be grateful this morning because as a child of God, we've been given something that can never be taken away. Christianity never promises you an easy life. Do you see this in David's life? He's pleading because it's not easy. He's pleading because the reality is that people are going to accuse you of things that you didn't do. They're going to accuse you of hypocrisy. What David does here is lays out a pattern of life of how he walks before his God, with God before him. God's faithfulness and his truth on his right and left, his love is in before him. He said that can't be taken away. That's what I live. No matter what, who does what to me, this cannot be removed. And for that, I will worship my God who will receive my worship. And one day, to the wicked, they will be dropped into the pit of hell. And I know preachers don't talk like that anymore. But that's the way the Bible talks. Why? So our question, we always ask, so what? It means... Okay, so what? Now what? What do I take away from this? Are you living in such a way that brings both scrutiny in your life and requires security? So go with me to the growth group text, Acts 4, Acts 4, verse 10. And just allow yourself for a minute as we should always do in the Bible just to let the Bible sort of set its context. I'm so grateful for the titles in Scripture you can see as the church takes hold and grows and thrives. The apostles are doing what they're always always been doing, proclaiming the gospel, and what happens? Persecution happens. So what do we do in the midst of persecution? What do we do when we're called on the carpet for being who Christ has told us to be. Look at verse 10. Just to see how they responded here. Let it be known to all of you. And to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Whom you crucified. Whom God raised from the dead. By him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you the builders. Which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one, at, no, in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Look at verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. God's people walk in their integrity on a mission. And our mission is to go to those people whom they are not, they don't deserve anything but the wrath of God. But so did we. And someone spoke the gospel to us 
Someone gave us a cup of cold water and declared the gospel to us. That's how we live. We live in our integrity on a mission. And when we do, we will come headlong into persecution. We will come headlong into resistance. I heard, I'm reading a book on a missionary right now. He calls them armchair critics. People who sit in their easy chair while the people's on a mission and criticize how they do it. Here's my question for us today based off this text. Can people tell that you've been with Jesus? Can they tell it? That's what David is saying. I walk with Yahweh. My life just bears witness that I depend and I need Him. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying that's my goal. We must, brothers and sisters, press on to maturity in Christ. We must stop simply trying to study the Bible to find out what we, what we can get by with and to know that God has given us a mission, a place we are to walk to. And when we walk where Christ walked, we will walk into persecution and we will need Him on our right and on our left and on our front. And when we do, we will walk there in our integrity. I want you to see this in 2 Corinthians and we're done. You see, you didn't, I bet you didn't know this. Christians are supposed to give off some kind of smell. You didn't know that, did you? We're actually supposed to smell a certain way. You know, Jeff, man, you smell like a Christian. I'm not making it up. Listen, to, look, at what, look at what it says. 2 Corinthians 2, look at verse 14. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Look at verse 15. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, so speak in Christ. Here's the question. Will we commit ourselves to walk together to say to a lost world, follow me as I follow Christ? Will we say, what it brings, it brings. What it cost, it cost. It is worth it. His glory is worth it. His grace is enough. Let us walk in our integrity, brothers and sisters, for this is how we walk on the mission of God. Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful. It's comforting to those that are redeemed. And yes, Lord, it is supposed to trouble those that are, that are lost, that are wondering. Oh God, we have a wonderful gospel. Lord, I remember your son. He was the most tender, was the most broken. Lord, even the hard words he spoke to the Hypocrites, he did so out of love. God, we need that kind of wisdom. 
I find myself being mean to who I should love and loving who I should correct. And Oh God, help us. We need wisdom. We need, we need Christ before us. Showing us how then shall we live in this broken world. How can we purify your church? So that no one would ever say, this church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. Oh God, may it not be so either. Thank you, Jesus. That you are always making us like you. That we are more like you this week than we were last week. I pray I'll be more like you next week than I was this week. Thank you that you are a patient, loving God who is committed to his children. That we be joy-filled, fruitful worshipers of you. And so now as we come to this time, receive our worship, Lord. That you get the glory the words as we remember your wondrous deeds and as we remember we need you Lord let us stand as we worship